What's up? Well, we're here. <laughs> Finally, after... Yeah, it's January when we last did this. I'm surprised. I thought it was... Like before that, I didn't realize it was that recent. I re- <laughs> now, don't, I, I realize. Look, it's it's July sixth. I get that when we're recording this, but I really thought it was like October. Somebody had mentioned something like that, and I was like, oh, I felt about right. But all right, January. So it's been a minute. Um, and I suppose folks want to know more details. Like, is the right? We yeah. were talking about what, this. what is the state of the podcast? Is there ever gonna? Is it another six months before the next episode? I, uh, I, God, I hope not. <laughs> no, um, no, I, I've missed this, and that isn't something that's been the case for a very long time. And no, uh, my, my, I. I'm not 100% sure on a, like, how often. I, I definitely do not want to say, like, it'll be weekly, because, no, it won't mm. be weekly. But fortnightly, I think that's reasonable, so every couple of weeks. Um, the the reason I haven't done the podcast is I haven't wanted to. And I it's not driven on a monetary basis. There are some very probably... Uh, um, Negative folks out there would be like, oh, it's not YouTube, so it's not money. You got to realize, like, I the channel's not that big. Like, YouTube's not making that much money. It, there, there are clearly more YouTube viewers than there are podcast listeners, so the audience is bigger in that regard. But it's not a monetary thing. It's a what kind of content do I want to make thing. And it hasn't been the podcast, to be honest with you. It hasn't been fun. It, it wasn't enjoyable. At I always all. felt as well that part of the problem was the feedback. Because when we're doing the, the streams, I mean, you've got the live audience and the peanut gallery. You've got a fairly rapid, you know, little flurry of comments afterwards on YouTube. Well, well, with a podcast, on the other hand, you drop the podcast and it's kind of like crickets. And you don't hear a thing. Yeah. And, I mean, there are ways to get rough numbers on your number of listens and type thing. But, yeah, there's not that feedback so it's just out there in the ether and are people listening to it are they enjoying it what kind of like and there's no there's not just not just uh like are they listening but the feedback like are you doing things that talking about things that people want to hear and whereas on the youtube channel they're like oh i really want to see this game there's not really that kind of feedback loop like you don't yeah. get that kind of information so it comes down to passion and interest on the podcast and another factor as well is i mean the core of the heavy cardboard podcast has always been the in-depth game reviews and they're not easy to do well i mean you've been on a number of the deep dive yeah reviews, i mean right? it's, it's not just the, the i mean the planning for the podcast is more than people would think getting through the whole agenda and everything but also you've got to play the game enough times and have we come close? I mean, we got kind of close. We'll talk a little bit about Imperial Steam later on. We got sort of close to Imperial Steam to get enough plays in, but it's not easy to get enough plays in when you're saying to yourself, we need half a dozen level plays. I mean, I, I listen to good podcasts, and they'll say, yeah, oh, I've played it once, I've played it twice, okay, let's do the review. And I'm kind of thinking, no, I need to play more often than that before I really know a game enough to talk about it. Not just that, but... At least on a more more than just the surface level, right? It, so so a lot of the more recent, if you will, or what the podcast kind of morphed into was the, and it's kind of going to be what we're talking about tonight is not real deep dives, but like mm. kind of surface level 
uh, hey, things we've actually enjoyed, uh, games we've enjoyed, but not that really deep, you know, really scouring uh, into a game. And you can't do that unless you have more than a handful of plays. And it's really hard to get that amount of plays because on a realistic note, let's talk about you and I on this. From a realistic standpoint, you and I get together two times a week. Yep. On a rare week, there will be a third. But realistically, two times a week. So let's just say we did that for the same game. You're talking that's three weeks worth of our getting together. And that's not that that's completely omitting any kind of streams that we're going to do. Unless maybe one of those, let's say, out of that. So three weeks of you and I getting together for one game, we're not going to stream the same game five, six times. doesn't make sense. And so that balance is near impossible to keep mm. up with. And for the podcast, what I foresee going on, going forward, is uh, Martin's not the co-host. Uh, nope. He is one of the co-hosts, I guess would be a good way to put it, or, or a... I guess a a a a group a, a small group is the goal uh, to get a small group of folks together and rotate between it to where hey it, a it keeps it fresh for because it's not y'all's job it's yep. mine but me talking by myself doesn't make for the most compelling uh, listen and with that said trying to like I I don't want any of y'all to burn out and so trying to find that group of a handful we're talking anywhere between like four and seven folks because everybody out there who listens to the podcast they want to get to know the hosts Mm. and they want to be able to get a feel for what your likes and dislikes are and where your biases are because god knows we all have them and so if you if you do too wide of a net then that's not going to work and so getting that, that's the goal, and then rotate. That way, hey, you hear Martin, but you're going to hear him once every, I don't know, two, three months, maybe, mm-hmm. something like that. And yep. that that seems doable, right? Yep, I think so. So so that's kind of the idea. Now, are they all going to be deep dives? No, because for the reason we just discussed. Is it all going to be surface level? No, but it's going to be a, a mismatch of things as – we want to do them as we want to do them doesn't mean time frame wise, but like I'm committing to a fortnightly podcast, but the content of the podcast will be whatever it is we want it to be. It'll right. be board game related, but past that, I'm not going to make any commitments. And and I really liked the, you did a number of deep dives where you had your guest who really knew the game. I'm thinking that the Great Western Trail one, for instance, or the one you did with Tony on Obsession. I mean, they were really good. I, I mean, because I'm, I'm primarily a podcast listener. I came to Heavy Cardboard through the podcast. I hardly ever watch the YouTube streams when I'm not streaming myself because... I, it doesn't appeal to me, but the podcast I really like listening to, and that's that was always to me the heart of heavy cardboard, um, and I really like listening to them, um, and I I really enjoyed those. So I, I definitely like that kind of thing, and also allows you to hit a number of older games, which you know people have been playing for years, um, and have therefore a lot of good things to have got of interesting things to say about them. I mean, I'll be honest, you're kind of the thorn in my side about the podcast. And I mean that in mm. an affectionate good way. Like you're I'm a like good hey, thorn. Right. 
so so yeah so if y'all enjoy the podcast blame this guy <laughs> uh by the way uh welcome to episode 160 i guess oh yeah we, yeah hi <laughs> um so live from wakefield <laughs> there you go uh so i'm your host edward euler and i'm martin fowler yes for those that don't know that martin fowler all right which i still find funny that people are like oh my god my work life and my hobby are combining. <gasps> the Martin. Fa- <laughs> so there's uh, there's a new part of our group, new guy in our group, James, who uh, I was like, yeah, you know, when he came over, and he became a part of the group. You were you were out and you were on vacation and stuff, right. and he was like, oh, it's that Martin Fowler, and I'm like, I, see, <laughs> to me, I didn't know who you because I'm not in that world, yep. right? And I was just. I think I've told this story before. Like before I moved out here to Boston, um, there was this guy Martin Fowler that started following me on on Twitter, and I was like, and it was a is a patron, and I'm like, who? Oh, he has a blue check mark. Who's this? So I went and investigated, and I was like, oh, he's Kate. He he's a he has a wiki page. He's kind of a big deal. Okay, wow, that's cool. So, but. I just know you and Cindy as our friends, and yeah. we go have dinner, and just a goofy friend of mine that we like to play board games with. Exactly. And drink tea. There you yeah. go. All right. So yeah, It is cool. odd how our group here in Boston has really become the tea drinker cabal, hasn't it? I mean, Ken's really into tea. Shrey's really into tea. I tend to drink tea more. You drink tea. It's not a common thing amongst Americans, I've found. But. It's not. Uh, speaking of a British-themed thing, Martin came over getting ready for the podcast, and I was like, I am so excited. Like, I am legitimately, like, jonesing. I'm, yes, let's do this tonight. I was like, how about you? I said, yep, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for it. And I was like, wow, really? That's that's the best you, really? <laughs> I, I thought there would be some more enthusiasm, like, asking for thumbs. And I was, and, and then you were. I'm British. We don't get enthusiastic about thumbs So anyway, um, what we did uh, is we kind of picked a handful or two or three uh, games that we've played since January that we've enjoyed. Mm. And we'll briefly go over some more brief than others. Uh, but but why don't we... Uh, we'll st- and they will be first impressions because we haven't got the requisite amount of... Uh to do a full uh, review of voice, we do a full review. So, although I will say this, a couple of these we probably could. We're getting close on a couple of them. Oh, yes. I know I could on a couple of these. Right. Um, like Oath. I mean, obviously, we've been playing yes. Oath a lot. We, I think we've uh, we streamed six chapters or six games of it, and I have two other plays of it before that. So I have eight plays of Oath under my belt. So I think that would mm. that would be one. And that is, it's not a game that I want to play all the time. And it is very much a game that it helps having somewhat recent experience with because they are very asymmetric, you know, not vast, the game vast, not that asymmetric, but it's asymmetric enough, but it's simple enough mechanically to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I remember. And so playing this every month or six weeks like we've been doing, has been a lot of fun. We've really enjoyed our plays of it, and I, I feel pretty confident speaking for Alyssa, Shrey, Ken, and myself in our in our uh, plays of Oath 
that I think we all agreed that our last play of it was probably the most enjoyable. It's mm. the one that we enjoy that we not everybody. It was tight. It was everybody had their chance at winning. And it was it was the type of game that I think Oath can be. And it was it was great. I really enjoyed it. How are you enjoying its semi-campaign nature? I actually really kind of dig it. Now, the campaign nature, the only aspect of the of that that's kind of uh, that stays is the board state, right? So some of the some of the locations remain, and you get to add in some new cards, take some random cards that you don't know. Some of those get removed, but you don't ever go through the whole deck anyways, so you don't know really what all has been added and what's been removed. But the board state is not static. It changes each game, but it's not a drastic change. Like, we're not talking like a uh, uh, legacy game in that right. regard. It's just a campaign. And... If we were to restart with a random setup every time, I don't know that it would feel much different. Than, hmm. So I'm kind of indifferent in that regards. But I do like the idea that we have our group that does that. And we have kind of a story that we've been right. telling through this. And the story is more or less in your head. Like, you know, oh, this ruthless leader, so-and-so, whether it's me or Ken or Alyssa right. or whoever. And it's been a lot of fun, but it's very much not a game that I want to play all the time. Mm. Um, I can't ever see you really. I don't think that would be your cup yeah, of Yeah, the thing tea. that put me off with mainly is the campaign element because I don't like – I'm reluctant to get myself locked into a campaign. I guess it's also fitting if I wanted to do a campaign game, I'd want to start D&D again because um, that was my big game throughout my sort of 20s and – and. Uh, I feel whenever people say campaign or even a long game, like when you did uh, Twilight Imperium, I kind of think, well, if I'm going to spend 10 hours playing a game, I could do it for d and I'm not sure I could do it for anything else. Well, I mean, it's a two-hour game, Oath is. So yeah. it's not, right? But, but it's, oh, again, the campaign nature. That's the thing that makes me kind of feel that I don't want to commit to that in the same way. <laughs> I like the fact that games start from a blank slate and reach a completion. Um, and that that's the main thing that's put me off of. I think that's a minor component. It's more or less the campaign nature, I would say. It, like I said, it's less about that. It's, it's the continuation of a story, but the story is still, you know, you have a finite amount of lands. One person's the chancellor. Somebody might be a citizen. The rest are exiles. But the game is the, still the same. So hmm. you could reset it each time right. and just okay. play with the same group. You don't even have to play with the same group. But the thing is, if you don't play it, you know, if you play it once every four or five months, it's going to feel too new every time. Like mm. you're not going to retain that. So it's going to, that learning curve is not, it, you're not going to get past that step. Right. And so I wouldn't, I would hesitate to say that it's really a campaign game. So okay. I don't want to turn anybody off from it that way. But the same, there are folks out there that really enjoy playing it like once a week with their group. I, no, absolutely mm -hmm. not. I do not enjoy the game to that. Age of Steam, I don't want to play that often. All right. You know, uh, over the long haul, every month or two or, you know, every few weeks type thing, I'm good with that. And that's arguably my number one game of all time. Right. So I might be a bit different like that. But yeah, Oath, been enjoying the hell out of it. Really mm. enjoying it. Good. Yeah.
So uh, that's me on one of mine. Um, why don't we talk? Uh, you got a number of games. Let's let's talk uh, TKR Three Kingdoms Redux. Ah yes. So this was interesting. It, it, it's a game I've heard about a lot from you saying it's one of your big favorites. Yes. And I was always very reluctant to play it because it has this one very annoying constraint. You can only play it with three players. The end hard stop. And that, that's a big deal for me because if, I want, if I'm going to get into a game, I'm going to want to play it with Cindy, just the two of us, so I can get familiar with the game, we can get familiar with the game, and then you know, one or two people can join us, so we'd like a game that scales to at least two to four. So a three-player game is kind of, there's no way I'm ever going to buy a three-player game, right? Um, and then we sat down, uh, myself, uh, Ken, and younger Martin, you were watching us, as it were, and guiding us through, played one game, and then we came on stream with Ken, myself, and you, and um, I, suffice to say, it's my latest purchase. Um, and it being a three-player game, which doesn't fit for all the reasons right. you just said. So I'd say that's, a, that's high praise. Yeah, there are a number of elements about it. That, that I really kind of pick out as I, I like. I mean, the first thing is it's just got this very interesting approach to worker placement where, I mean, worker placement games, normally whoever goes first to the worker placement spot, they, they get to do that action. Here, um, your workers, called generals, have a, a, a number value, uh, one to five. And whoever's got the highest amount, and you can combine generals on a spot, then you get that player gets to do the action. So you've got a kind of a bidding mechanic going on, which is made a little bit more interesting by the fact that the, the, I say that each general's got a number. They've actually got two numbers, a military and an uh, administrative number for the bidding. Um, and uh, the spots are either military or um, civil. So as a result, you've, you're figuring out where you want to put your generals. Do you use your bigger number, smaller number? You've got all that bidding mechanic going on in there. And that, that's the first element, I think, that really takes it into an interesting place that most worker placement games don't. And on top of that, uh, it solves the three-player uh, problem that a lot of games have, which is if two people are getting into conflict, the third right. player uh, just benefits because they're not in a conflict. And this has a perfect balance aspect of it to where you can only attack me from this side and mm -hmm. I can only attack you from this side and I can attack this other person from that side where, and then you two in it and it just balances it really, really well. It very much is a Euro through and through that has some uh, auction uh, warfare, I guess you yeah. could. Although I don't think of it as kind of like warfare. It actually makes me think most of viticulture, interestingly. Because viticulture is a production game, right? You 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 get you plant grapes, you harvest grapes, you turn the grapes into wine, you fulfill contracts. In Free Kingdoms Redux, you recruit armies, you train armies, you equip them with weapons, and then you send them out to these worker placement spots, which are only shared with one of your opponents, which is the military fighting area. And the fight is really just a worker placement bid, like every other worker placement bid, except there's only going to be two of you involved. So in many ways, it, it's more of a production worker placement game than anything that I would think of as a military game, even though the setting is definitely along military lines. I think that's fair. Yeah, all right. And I, I like the opaque scoring aspect of the game mm -hmm. as well, to where 
somebody might be ahead of military or somebody might be going up the Han Dynasty track or whatever to be able to get some bonus points and maybe trigger the end of the game. But the way the scoring works, there are so many, and it's not just a majority scoring. It's a, did you do better than one, both, right. or neither of your opponents? Or did you tie one of your opponents based on these different things? And that the way that scoring works, it's, at least in my experience, impossible to be able to tell. I Oh, I think you're winning, but I'm not sure. And I like that aspect, mm. uh, especially since there are multiple ways for the game to end, different triggers for the game to end. And so debating whether or not do I go ahead and try and end it now because I think I'm ahead, it's it's not always clear. And I like that, and it makes it more tense. And speaking of the scoring, this is the, the second thing that really uh, leaps out to me in terms of worker placement. I talked about the, the, the military production process. You put an army into the field. Once you've won... The military thing, Congrats. the army stays in the field with its general. So as a result, you, you, yes, you score victory points now for every turn, which is good. The bad thing is you've just lost one of your workers, which in a worker placement game, the last thing you want to do is lose one of your workers. And just to rub it in, you've now got to supply that army with golden rice for the rest of the game. Got to so feed you, heat. Right. So you've got this wonderful trade-off of, do I go for the military action now so that I can score the victory points for a longer period of time? or But am I prepared also to lose this worker, which is going to be really important in me being able to continue doing things? I love that, that tension of that decision. And you'd almost think that this is one of you know, the best games of the year that it came out. And I think that was 2013. And yes, it is. Uh, some people have said it's the best game of the decade. I think that might be a little bit much, but I think it's definitely in the conversation. I think for what it is, uh, Three King and Rosary Ducks, I've had a love affair with this game and also a sentimental uh, aspect of it. So, yeah, you. I mean, I've talked about this game for... I'm not done. I've still got another wonderful oh, thing. Oh, go, go, game. please. My bad. Go, go. So the other wonderful thing of this game is that I talked about how each general has these couple of numbers. So they're different in that respect. There's also something like each each of the three players has something like 20-odd, 30 generals to choose from, of which you'll only use half a dozen in the game. And each general, in addition to the two numbers, has a special power, a special little superpower that they get as well. So you've got a really interesting variation in the games as to, well, what generals are available to me in this game? And how do I use this particular general's power and use it in combination with the other generals? So you've got a bit of a combo forming. I mean, that, and that, that also is not something I've seen in other worker placement games where you have these very individualized workers. And then the thematic element of the game, which doesn't come through as much to us, because I'm not familiar with the Romance of the Three Kingdoms, but if you know the story, I mean, uh, just for the, the fill-in, the Romance of the Three Kingdoms is one of the great classic pieces of Chinese literature. It's kind of like a Chinese Shakespeare, as it were. It was written in the Ming Dynasty, which is kind of 1300s, 1400s, and it's about Chinese history in the kind of 100, 200 ADs. So it's a historical novel, as it were, very well known and if you're into Chinese literature, apparently, which I'm not, but I'll take it that you are. And there's TV programs of it and all the rest of it. And the game, of course, is very much rooted in that. All of the generals that you have in the game are characters in the Romances of Three Kingdoms. And their special powers all come from elements in that story. 
And there was one other aspect when we played the game that uh, I forget which of you mentioned it, but the fact that when you recruit your generals, you get a choice out of some number, say uh, draw three, pick one type thing. You don't, the ones you don't pick don't go to the bottom of the stack. They get shuffled in. And so you could you could come up with a bit of a story in your head that, oh, they were turned away. We didn't need that aspect in which they they excel. But they came back later on because, again, you're shuffling the deck and you might see them the next time you go and recruit generals. Oh, now, oh, we would be, you know, make very good use of whatever their special ability is. So thematic in that regard as well. The artwork is beautiful. Uh, if you get it direct from the publisher, you got the little artwork uh, book um, that details it. You can tell that this is very much a passion project and a, mm. and a, a labor of love for the designers, uh, Christina and Yowster. And they, they, they hit it out of the park. Um, oh yeah. It's, it's wonderful. It and, really uh, is. A another jam. little bonus. I, I got my version from the board game geek store because the shipping from Singapore is pretty hefty if you're only buying one copy. If there's more than two copies involved, and I think it, it's, it's more reasonable, but I, I just got the single one. When I got the box and opened it up, obviously it's been in storage for quite a while and it's got that lovely smell of old books. <laughs> and I was, just, I was kind of snorting the box, you know, to go, oh, get that old box smell. And uh, that's an extra extra bonus for it. Now it's sitting on my shelf, and if there are two other suitable gamers who come around, that's going to be uh, top of my list to play because it is really quite a special game. Yeah, uh, Three Kingdoms Redux, ever since it came out, um, and briefly I'll, I'll touch on the story, it's the first ever review copy that was sent to us uh, for direct from a, from a factory. They airshipped it over, mm. and it's, 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 a, uh, it's a couple. Uh, the publisher, uh, the... Um, Starting player, which it then got picked up and reprinted by uh, by Capstone, but they airshipped it over, and I still have that copy. I refuse to ever get mm. rid of that kind. Of so sentimental, yes, but also it's a really damn good game. Yes. Um. So if you're into euros, uh, don't let the three player only, unless you're predominantly a solo player. I get that then, but outside of that, just. It's a gem. It's an absolute it gem. To me, it's a Hall of Fame game. Mm. And I, I've i been talking about it for, oh, my God, almost 10 years now. Yeah, I'll need to play it a few more times before I'm convinced it's a Hall of Fame game. But it's definitely on the Hall of Fame track. Yeah, it's it's so good. So, yeah, Three Kingdoms, Three Ducks. So real quick, I will talk about a couple of uh, a couple of solo games that I'm smitten with, and one of which I knew I would be. The other I was completely surprised about. Uh, the first one, Nemo's War. I love Nemo's War. Twenty thousand leagues under the sea. Never read the book, but I feel like I kind of got a pretty good grasp of it from playing the game. It makes me want to go read the book. But that said, it's an awesome uh, narrative driven. Solo game. You can play it two players now, the Ultimate Edition, yada, yada, yada. But everybody that I know thinks of it as a solo game. And it has a lot of die rolling, and but you can mitigate a lot of those die rolls in it where you are taking the Nautilus out, and there are a ton of different ways that you can play the game. There are things called motives, which are basically your little scoring card, and it says... 
sinking warships is either going to be highly beneficial, you're going to score bonus points for those at the end of the game, or maybe if you're going adventuring, maybe sinking warships or, or, or uh, freighters isn't something that you go after. You do have to do some level of that, but that's not so you lose uh, some of the points that you would gain from that. Or maybe discovering wonders or discovering treasures or scientific discoveries. And it all it all varies by the way you want to play the game. Hmm. And it has this deck of cards that you customize. Uh, it's a random deck in that you, you set it up like the third chapter. Depending on the difficulty, you add maybe five, six, seven, or eight cards into the third chapter. Then you put a stack of cards on top of that. And then a stack of cards for the first chapter, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's as thematic as you want it to be. It could be simply a mechanical game to where you're not reading the flavor text. You're just doing what it says. You're rolling, you're sinking ships, you're doing whatever it is you need to do. But the thematic aspects of this game, if you're a war gamer, it's a lighter version of the hunters because the narrative that you're, is being told in your story when you're going through your adventure here on your tour, if you will, is just fantastic. It's one of my all-time favorite solo games. Hmm. Huge fan of Nemo's War. I played it recently when we got the Ultimate Edition, and it has all the expansions. Yeah, just it's just a win. I love it. I'm hmm. really, really big fan. And you all know me. I'm not a huge die roller. Like, I don't like those really big stand-up die rolls, even though, yes, Oath has similar right. in that as well. But in spite of that, I think it's a great game. The game that really caught me off guard, speaking of solo games, is Aeon's End. Now, it's a co-op. You can. It's predominantly, I believe, played multiplayer co-op. Y'all know I'm not a fan of co-ops. So it, when I hear co-op, I'm thinking, ooh, solo. <laughs> mm. And so I recently streamed uh, a couple of plays of the Past and Present, which is the expansion for, I forget the other, uh, the other. it's not the base game, but it's like the standalone base game that it could be the newer version of it. And I got to be honest, if you want a fantasy-driven solo game that isn't Mage Knight, I think Aeon's End has a lot going for mm. it. It has a campaign aspect to where it has stuff to where, oh, if you win this battle, you get to open up this package and you get more cards. You get right. more uh, more characters you could play, more bad guys that you could defeat, stuff like that. But you don't have to do it. You could just the theoretically just open everything up and boom, you have everything. Mm. I'm probably going to get some people that <gasps> when I say this, but I understand why Mage Knight is as loved and arguably the majority of solo gamers, number one solo game of all time that mm -hmm. isn't maybe like D-Day at Omaha Beach. Still got to play that. <clears throat> Mage Knight is too much for me. It's too yeah. long. It's too intricate. I can appreciate it, and I think it's an amazing game. I think it's wonderful if that's your cup of tea. To me, it's a step too far for what it is I'm looking for in a solo game. Yeah, I, I, I played it once and I had a similar reaction. It's massive in every way, both in table space as well as scope and feel. And so it gives you just this 
it's something that you could play over days solo, take your time thinking about uh, and breaking it up into a day night. Maybe that's one sitting you play over multiple days. That's fine if that's your thing. It's not. But I really think that Aeon Zen, in some ways, scratches the same itch that Mage Knight does in a fraction of the amount of time to play it. It doesn't have the map. It doesn't have the exploration that that does. But in a lot of ways, what I want to get from Mage Knight, Aeon Zen kind of gives me. It's not a apples to apples comparison. Let me be clear. They're nothing alike in scope or in just grandeur. But for that, being able to figure out clever combos that Mage Knight provides, if that is your real big thing and the thing that drives you towards Mage Knight, Aeon's End is amazing at that. I thought it was a really, really wonderful bite-sized piece of Mage Knight. How would you compare it to Spirit Island then? I wouldn't know. I've yet to play Spirit ah, Island. Ah, okay. And here's the thing. Spirit Island, it's a co-op, right? So again, when I when Spirit Island came out, I was like, maybe. And that was when I was starting to consider playing solo games. And so it just feels like it ju I just missed it. Like I, right. I, I just missed it in the rotation, and it's not one that I'm clamoring to go back and try. I will at some point for the solo aspect, and the fact that it has some historical, uh, uh, not situations, but uh, scenarios right. that you could do that appeals to me. But as a whole, I'm just not clamoring for it. But I do want to play it. I guess at some time. Yeah, at some I, point. I tried Spirit Island. A a couple of times, and I quite liked it. I'd like to play it more. Um, I'm I'm not as averse to co-ops as you are, so I'm I'm quite happy to do the co-op thing. Um, and what I liked about Spirit Island was it it felt that it was sufficiently complicated that you couldn't have one person alpha play, which is the biggest problem for me with co-ops is when you got somebody uh, agreed. It, it sets up an alpha play, yeah. um, and that and that so sort of, that might interest me also with with Aeon's End. I don't know, but I, I haven't actually got round to getting Spirit Island or anything. Fair enough. Um, I think I've come to understand why I don't like co-ops is they just go against why I play board games. Hmm. Not go against. It's just not why I'm playing board games. I'm not trying to team up with somebody to take out the, the big baddie or, you know, for the greater good. I'm trying. It's a competition decision making that's absent hmm. in a co-op. Yep. And it's, do we do a good job of making good decisions? I get that. But I, I, and here's the thing. I have recently had the epiphany or change of motivation when we're playing games to where I don't want to go after people. I don't want to be mean-spirited. I don't want to be still going to be competitive but not at the – my main driving thing is to make sure that everybody at the table is having fun and have a good time and be pleasant. You never struck me as a kind of mean-spirited game about No, but there are – there have been times to where I try and win too hard. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like that aspect of me and the way I was doing it. So I've kind of shifted the way I want to play games. And so 
I'm still trying to win a game, but I'm not going to do something at the expense of somebody else in a, yes, obviously there are situations where, okay, if I do this, yes, it hurts you, but it's clearly the right thing I need to do. Still going to do that. Let's be clear. But what I'm not going to do is be like, hey, 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 Martin, screw you, dude. Boom. Right. And do that. I, I just, that doesn't feel good to me. Right. And, and I don't, I don't want, I want to get away from that. Right. Okay. So, but that said, I'm still trying to beat you yes. in the game. And so, therefore, a co op just doesn't have that, it removes that aspect, mm. which. If that's the case, then I'd much rather play a solo game, which is how I treat co-ops. Or if that's the case, I'll just go play Elden Ring, on the, you know, and I'll, I'll just play by myself, something solo video game-wise. So, yeah, no, that, that's why I really don't like co-ops is hmm. it removes that competition and decision-making. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. talk Autobahn, or at least the prototype of Autobahn, right? Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, I thought, quite a nice um, game that we did. So the, the, the theme of Autobahn is you're building, well, you know, highways in Germany. Um, surprise, surprise. And it's got, an, it's got one of those things I really like about the game, which is the things that you build to help your own position will also help other people as well. So that there is this nice element of yeah, I want to do this, but I'm also going to be helping somebody else. Then you watch somebody else do this. Oh, they're doing something that's going to really help me. So I, I can kind of, and perhaps even do a little bit of temporary cooperation to extend this highway in a particular direction. But at the same time, you're also competing to try and grab a particular set of points or something of that kind. And I I felt Audubon did a quite good job of that. I thought it's rules. Um, I'll be talking later on and moaning about Baroque combinations of rules and I didn't think this suffered particularly from that the rules were relatively made sense and hung together in a cohesive That's way. That's fair, yeah. I I'm not saying it was an outstanding game. It had a had a few bits that I felt were kind of a bit too fiddly to be worthwhile and didn't end up justifying the weight and that was I think where it it kind of fell down a little bit for me. But of the heavyish games that have kind of passed over the table so far this year, this was one of the ones that I would rate more highly of, of the recent batch, I would say. Don't know that I would agree wholeheartedly with okay. that last bit. Uh, it was fine. Um, but yeah, for me, the fiddliness aggravated me a little bit um, in a way that like a Masters of Venice doesn't. For fiddliness, which I realize that's going pretty obscure, I understand, but it's a game that I've recently played that I love, and the fiddliness doesn't bother me in that. Whereas it did kind of not sit. It, it, it the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. Hmm. I think is is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Now I will say that Fabio, being the the designer on the game, this is definitely a big step up in complexity for him and i like seeing that and mm. i think the game was solid but for me it was fine right and it just i i think if i were to sum it up in a single sentence it's the 
it was fine, but the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. Yeah, I'm not going to go so far as to say the juice was worth the squeeze for me either. I just felt it was better than most of the other ones that we ran into of a similar weight this year. And that was why I felt it was worth highlighting. I also got this sense of something, perhaps a, a second edition or something, it could really, it had potential. Which um, is, I'm not sure how to get there. I'm not a game developer. I'm not a game designer, so I don't know. But I had that sense of this wasn't that far away from getting to something where it might have been. Yeah, and I now full disclosure, we played a prototype, right? Yep. So and only twice. A, a, a some of the some of the fiddliness might get uh, developed out through whether that's uh, components or whether that's graphic design, et cetera, et cetera. So there's that. So. I don't want to be too heavy-handed with what is a prototype, um, and I mean it, it was it was recently on Kickstarter, so it doesn't even exist yet. Right. Uh, it's going to be out for not for a number of months. So I am I will say this: I didn't dislike it to the level that I have no interest in trying it when it is published. I do want mm. to, and I'm curious to see from where we played it as the prototype where it is in the final edition. And that I am interested in trying. So I'm looking forward to that. All right, so bounce back. Uh, so y'all, for those that are watching on, uh, on YouTube, you see Struggle of Empires up there. I did that sort of as a tease on a weekly look ahead, which that's not fair. I'm sorry. And I did it tonight as a blatant tease again. But here's the good news. We recently played it five player relatively recently. I want to say like three, four weeks ago and lived up like it. I really enjoyed it. It's a it's a long game. It's going to be a weekend stream type thing. Like we get started early in the morning and we'll finish in the late afternoon, early evening type thing. And we do want to do it five, six or seven players. But I will say this, the new version, the uh, deluxe edition, if you will, from Eagle Griffin, A, it's nice. Mm. It's really nice to play. It is incredibly pretty and just it's imagine a Vital Lacerda production from Eagle Griffin. It's that. Right. Okay. So to put it for those that are unfamiliar with it, it's classic Martin Wallace. It is uh, heavy negotiation. So keep that in mind if that's not your bag. And it's very much direct conflict. So keep that in mind for this type of game. The old Struggle of Empires, it was five or seven players only. I don't care what the box said. It was five or seven players only because of the way that the uh, the Grand Alliances worked. We played it at five, and then there were two kind of bots that kind of help. They don't really do a lot, but they're just enough there to help uh, given sides. Hmm. So we, even though I've only played it five players, I see how it would work six players, which normally, again, going to that Grand Alliance thing, six players just wasn't a a good number in which to be able to uh, play it. I see that working really well uh, in this edition and squeezing seven in the studio here, little suspect. <laughs> so we're probably going to look at five or six in that regards, but man, I got to say, I really enjoyed the game. It feels old school Wallace. And that's a compliment in this regards, mechanically, not super difficult. It's long because you have a lot of things to think about, and there's a lot of turns in this game. 
But yeah, man, I'm excited to stream that game. So I think uh, the plan is to try and get together six of us to play it, six players, one more time before we stream it and then stream it. So end of summer, maybe somewhere hmm. around that time frame um, and, and see if we can see if we can do that. But yeah, really, really enjoyed my one play so far of Struggle of Empires and I don't know costs involved. I don't know how available the older edition of Struggle of Empires is, but the development that went into, I guess, some of the things, it's one of those older games where, oh, we just know we play it this way. Some of that development has gone into the deluxe edition or the newer mm. version of it, and it shows. It played super smooth, and, man, it's pretty. So if that's if that's your thing... I definitely could recommend it. Uh, mm. Struggle Vampires. Really, really want to play more of that. So big fan of that one. That, not your game. I'll just go. Right. No, okay. not yeah. you. Um, all right, 18 Chesapeake. Yeah, so this is a game I either love it or I can't play it. I can't figure out which. Um, I mean, this has generally been true of 18xx. I've played a few games of 18xx, and what it comes down to is there's a lot I really love about 18xx. The rules aren't really that complicated. They're, they're really not. No. Um, there's a lot of depth to the strategy. I'm root building. Root building is one of my all-time favorite mechanics, so I love the root building. It's very interactive. I like interactive games. There's There's... Just enough things to be thinking about that have depth, but not sort of the massive rule stuff. So oh, that, this is all great. Um, I like the fact that there's a nice historic element to it. And you're playing on maps of the world with train companies that are based on the train companies of time. All that's perfect for me. Um, I, the stock stuff doesn't worry me. Um, it's interesting. I don't really know how to do stuff with stock things, but it's not an issue. The one thing that is killing me with these games is the mental arithmetic. And I'm not talking about the mental arithmetic of the money payouts, because the spreadsheet handles that no trouble at all. It's the root calculations. You've always got to be looking at the board, figuring out, and mentally adding up the numbers. Now, I, I may be weird in some respect. When I was at school, if you asked me to solve a partial differential equation, yeah, can do that. I'll uh, symbolically integrate these complicated expressions. Can't do them now. I could certainly do them then. On the other hand, ask me to add up a bridge score of about, you know, five fairly simple numbers, and I've got the calculator out. I just can't do that mental arithmetic thing. So adding up half a dozen numbers as I'm figuring out my route, what I'm doing is I'm adding it up, and I'm thinking, I probably got that wrong because I always get this wrong. So I'll add it up again, and then well, they both came to the same answer, but maybe I got I, I try it again, and it's slow. Each time you slow, and I'm stressing out because I think I might get it wrong. And the result is an absolute nightmare for me. Now, I have discovered that if Alyssa's on the table, I'm okay. Because she can compute routes like no, none. And She's an actuary. I would hope so. And on top of it, is quite happy to help you out. Just saying, oh, yeah, that route's this much. This route's that much. And I'm going kind of, okay, I didn't even add up the first two numbers there. And she's got the whole route calculated. So playing with Alyssa, it works. But otherwise, it's... And, and then when Cindy and I tried... Did two player 18 Chesapeake. We were going okay for a bit, but the problem is Cindy has exactly the same problem with mental arithmetic I have, so it was torture. <laughs> um, 
I'm not laughing at the shrug. I'm just picturing the both of you at the table. I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm enjoying that picture. Yeah. So I don't know. Whether, and 18 Chesapeake, I think, succeeds on many counts. Um, it's a shorter game. You can you can play it quite easily in a few hours. It's approachable for new players like me who hasn't done a lot of 18xx. Um, I like the fact that it's got the the initial auction is always a contentious issue with 18xx because if you don't know how to value things, how the hell can the first thing you do in the game be take part in an auction for things that are going to settle the game? It just seemed would like to stand up and be recognized at this point, <laughs> as well as Power Grid. But yeah, go no, ahead. no, I, I think it's worse though for eighteen XX because oh, it is, it the, is. The decision really you can you can completely shoot yourself in the foot very easily on that first auction. Fair. And um, the nicely thing that Chesapeake does by getting away, it says quite clear on the box. Look, the 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 uh, price on the on the box for each item is a fair price. So you don't really feel like you've got to play a lot with the auction thing. You can just say, okay, it's a variable setup mechanic, basically, which is nice because that's, you know, it's for players who are just coming into 18xx. So there's a lot of lovely things about the game, and I actually did buy a copy. Um, I'm just, if I, can, if I can only figure out how to solve a mental arithmetic thing. Now, of course, one way of solving it was to play it online because I'm told 18xx games does a magnificent job, and it will do the root stuff for you. But I don't want to play online. I want to play in cardboard with people. Um, so I don't know. Do I hate 18xx and 18 Chesapeake, or do I love it? Do I score it a 6 or a 3 on the heavy cardboard scale? I don't know. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so there's that. Um I thought it was a great jumping off point. I think that it's it's lived up to, oh, this is a really hmm. good intro to 18xx, but still being viable to experienced players after a handful of plays. So, yeah, win. Um, and, and there's actually somebody in the chat commented that the problem they have, this mental arithmetic problem, is the same problem we have with Power Grid. And I sympathize with that because I have that problem as well. But it's only in the last couple of turns that I really find the Power Grid mechanic kicks in. And it's also relatively easy to fiddle it out with a calculator. Although, again, it's really handy if you've got Alyssa or Edward on the table to math out the uh, connections for you. Um, but with 18xx, it's, it, it's hammering you the whole time. And it's a mental strain that I don't like. I mean, there are mental strains I kind of like playing games, and there's mental strains I don't, and I just stress out. And it may be going back to when I was a kid and, and feeling, you know, my mental arithmetic's hopeless, and I'm being teased by everybody for pulling the calculator out to add three numbers together for the bridge score. And it's it's never ending in an 18xx mm. because every operations round, right? Yep. Every OR, you're you're going through that. There are 18xx calculators out there, but again, it, 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 I don't know if that. But I don't do the root calculation, though. How can they? Because it's just too complicated to do the root calculation. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I it wears on me after a handful of hours. At about hour four is where it starts. I start hmm. getting a little worn down from that same thing, to right. be honest. Uh, so you're not alone. And I don't struggle with it like you do. But even so, it's it's a... It's a constant thing for me. And right. obviously we are not playing 18xx nearly as much as those that, you know, really love it. So it become it, it's we're not exercising that muscle as much, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But it's it's an obvious barrier, right? Yeah. For for those that have that. And even for me who doesn't, it still gets to be a, a, a chore 
after a while. But I can totally see why people get in love with 18xx because the fact you've got a system of games that are similar, a quick to like the Age of Steam thing, you know, it, it, it's really, uh, really tempting. But uh, I also have to bear in mind the fact that it's, it's maybe it's something like me with things like rock climbing or kayaking where I don't have upper body strength, so I can't do those, even though they're the kind of things I would like to do. And sometimes you just got to ex accept, oh, well, but at least, you know, we've got an Alyssa in the, in, the, in, the, in the neighborhood, so that helps. There's that. So speaking of Age of Steam, we have recently played a lot of Age of Steam uh, here on the show. They, uh, Eagle, re recently had, Eagle Griffin recently had their Kickstarter for the expansion maps, and we played a host of them, six or seven of them, and unfortunately Martin was gone for uh, that, <laughs> that, that, that. The timing, that was just unfortunate. That just, that was a bummer. Oh, it was painful. Uh, but even even outside of those maps, um, here, this just in, Age of Steam is great. It's it's a system that just, I mean, it's like what we were talking yep. about with 18xx. It's a core system that is set up, and there are MacGuffins for each map, little things that make every map different. And it just, it never gets old. And I look, do you need 150 maps like some of us have? No. Do you probably want six or seven or, you know, a handful, mm -hmm. maybe a dozen? Yes. Uh, and then that's plenty because every time you play the same map, just the cube draw and the way that comes out is going to make for an interesting and more compelling or a different game, I should say. And that in and of itself makes for a compelling game. Yeah, someday as well, when we're talking about in-depth um, versions of this podcast, I'd really like to do, and a little fantasy of mine is to do an in-depth that lo looks at Age of Steam and its siblings. You know, it's, it's steam rails to riches and railways of the world, and looks at them, comparing them and contrasting them. I have played, I've played standard steam, but not base steam. And I've played Railways of the World because it particularly went it, since it went on BGA. And so now I feel I've got a bit of a handle as to how they compare. Um, and I think that would be quite an interesting episode to record. I, I would I haven't played Railways of the World in, in a hot minute, but I have played it um, for the majority of the heavy cardboard listener base, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Aegis theme is probably where they settle mm -hmm. out. Yep. But that's not to disparage railways, which is probably the lightest of the three. Steam fits somewhere in the middle, and then you have Aegis Steam. And different strokes for different folks, but Aegis Steam is such it's hard to call it a game. It's really a system. Mm. And and don't get me wrong, the, the Rust Belt map perfectly solid it yep. is a good map for four or five players but Indeed. the system that was created is just makes it one of if not the best games in existence because of that system provided you like auctions you like route building yada 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 and oh yep. hey this just in we do so we do. there you go but yeah age of steam uh just never gets old Uh, you wanted to talk a little Seize the Bean action. All right. So uh, Seize the Bean is um, a game I ran into completely by accident. Um, at the uh, long, many, many years ago, we cast our minds back to the last HeavyCon before COVID. Um, and 
one of the things at HeavyCon is you get given these games, a little bag of games. And in my bag of games, there was a little piece of paper instead of a game that said, this is a, a free um, Kickstarter version of this game that I'd never heard of called Seize the Bean. And I remember somebody coming up to me who clearly knew a lot more about this. And she said, oh, that's really hot game. You're lucky to have got that. And I thought, okay. And then the Kickstarter went into all sorts of God knows what disasters happened. I wasn't following it closely because I wasn't on the mailing list of the Kickstarter, but there Fast was delays. forward 17 years, it finally has delivered. <laughs> it was, it apparently was quite a nightmare, but it finally appeared and we gave it a few games and I'm rather liking it. Um, the theme is that you're running a coffee shop in Berlin and this is a very thematic game. So you do get a sense of you're running a coffee shop in Berlin. Um, you have customers that basically come in as a deck building exercise. So you do a, a deck build of pulling two or three customers each round into line. You can invest in upgrades to your um, coffee shop that give you extra powers. And you've at the same time, you've got to make sure you acquire coffee and milk and sugar so that you can feed all the people in line. And it cuts, it creates this, actually it was a complaint by one of the first players. He said, what I don't like about this game is I've got to choose between getting more coffee or upgrading my store. And I'm my, to which my reaction is, yeah, that's the whole point. You get this <laughs> difficult decision. Do I get more coffee or do I risk it, upgrade my store for an extra power and hope I'm going to be able to serve everybody in line? Um, and there's a really interesting quality of the way it builds that I've, it took me a few games to appreciate. You'll move very, very slowly for three or four rounds and then bam, you'll get a huge amount of points. And the game is all about getting to the BAM as fast as possible. Uh, and then, of course, if somebody else gets there as quickly as you do, you want a slightly bigger BAM. And what you're looking to do is to... You've got six categories of customers, each of which have different characteristics, and you want to com combo them or maybe all in on one of them. But the interesting thing is there are, in the box, 20 different categories, and you get a different six each game. So kind of like Dominion, you've got this different mix um, of different possibilities from each game. I've only played with the standard six. I've played about half a dozen times. I actually want to play it more, and uh, even with the standard six, to discover how to make them all go bam. And there are a plethora of extra decks. Like how many? There, yeah, 20 decks. It, in it, the... Which is ridiculous, right? Yep. Um, the, the amount of replayability from that aspect. But the game's mechanically very simple. Uh, the iconography is... Pretty good for the most mm -hmm. part. Uh, and I've enjoyed my plays. And it's a thematic game that every time we've played it, we've just had fun yeah. with it. And I think that's one of the best compliments you could give a game is if a game is... Now, I'm looking up on the shelf and there's this war of mine. Probably not a game that I'm always... You know, that that's going to be fun. I get that. So different games going for different things. But I know the designer and I know uh, and the publisher for Seize the Bean and trying to just have a fun, good time uh, at the table, absolutely, while making, obviously, a good game, was their goal. I think they nailed it. The mm. production quality is fantastic. It's, yep. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It's very tongue-in-cheek. It has a whimsical art feel to it. And it just works. Yeah. And it, it's just, yeah, it's thoroughly been a lot of fun. Uh, and I, it's not a word that, it's like worth. Is is a game worth X? I don't know what a game is worth it, you know, to you. 
And I don't know what is fun to you, but for me, this was just a fun time every single time we played it, even when it went catastrophically badly for me. Uh, I still had fun with it because it was just, it was comical because it's kind of telling that thematic story yeah. of, of, of how bad my coffee shop was. And it was just, yeah, we just had a blast with it. And yeah, so Seize the Bean seems to be a hit here mm. in at HCHQ and adjacent. Yeah. So next one I'll talk about real briefly, Crystal Palace. Uh, again, we recently got it to the table, and I don't care the player count. It's a dice placement game where uh, dice are your workers, but it has such one core concept that just makes the game so damn good. The pips on the dice, you never roll your dice, which is how dice should be, but you, your die, the pips on the dice are the strength or the power of your worker. You get to choose whatever you want it to be. You just got to pay for it. Mm. And juggling that economy between worker strength and legitimate economy of uh, your, your liquidity is so good. There's a lot more to the game, but that's the core mechanism that is just, why don't more games do that? Like, that surprised me. And I can't think of any. I'm sure there are some, but I couldn't think of any. And I'm so smitten with that one aspect of the game that I just, I really enjoy the game regardless of player count. I don't care how run, how, how long it runs. It's just so good. Uh, there, there was one problem, if you will, one major glaring problem with the game that we found, at least, which was with that choosing the strength of your workers let's say i the total pips of my dice was 17 right and we're playing a four player game if the player to my left and i was a high bid along with the player to my left also bid 17 then it becomes a tiebreaker situation to where even though we in high bid is who plays first and then it's clockwise from that player if the player to my left wins the tiebreaker on that, they're first. So I paid the most money mm. at 17 or whatever arbitrary number right. it might be. But now I'm going last. That sucks. Mm. So we house ruled a very simple thing. And I think this is fairly common. And, and for those that are familiar with Crystal Palace, which was, okay, if you lose the tiebreaker, the loser of the tiebreaker decides the... Uh, direction of the of the play either it's clockwise or anti-clockwise and hmm. that solved that problem boom right. in an easy fix and yeah we we have every just about everybody that i've played crystal palace with has really enjoyed it there are some it's not their cup of tea um but uh but yeah i've really really smitten with crystal palace yeah i played it once a long time ago and it made no impression on me but maybe i should give it another try at some point fair enough about a game i've never played blue lagoon all right so i've been trying to weasel my way into as many knizias as possible um and uh 
I think younger Martin just brought it along, and I thought, oh, I'd love to give it a try. Or yes. maybe I'd mentioned that I wanted to play. He it. recently brought Samurai yes, out. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. You yep. also, not just did you play all those games of Age of Steam without me, you also played Samurai without me. But we're going to bring it around so you can play it, we promise. Good. Anyway, so he brought Blue Lagoon, which is one of the, there's been a, a sort of relatively recent batch of Knizia games over the recent, or in the last five or so years, where people are saying, hey, he's got back to his old um, quality that the, what he was pumping out in the late 90s, early zeros. Um, we played Babylonia, which we really enjoyed. Um, I got uh, El Dorado, which I really love. Um, and this was a chance to play Blue Lagoon. Not a huge amount I can say about it, in the sense it's a fairly straightforward tile-laying game. You're tile-laying over this uh, archipelago of islands that is somewhat randomly set up, and you get points having the most tiles on an island or being connected to the most islands in a connection. And there are resources on the islands that you build your tiles to grab. The particularly interesting thing about it is that you do your tile-laying in two phases. Your first phase, you can start laying on any sea place and then adjacent after that. But during that first phase, you drop special markers, and during the second phase, you only have to, can go from the adjacency to your special markers that you drop during the first phase, which puts an interesting little sense of, okay, you're playing for the first round, but you're trying to set yourself up for the second round, and then the second round, you're in a much more constrained situation, and you're faced with the, the result of the choices from the first. All in all, it just makes it a very nice, nifty piece of Knizia gaming. And I, and I have to say, with that, Eldorado and Babylonia, I mean, those three alone are enough for me to say that he's definitely up to that, that same form that he was earlier on. Nice. We are, I've never played it, so I can't speak to it. I will say, as an aside, we recently played Medici again. Yep, still holds up. Fantastic. Awesome at six. All right at five. But it's yep. six. Great. Because that way all the goods come out. Yeah. yeah. So here, this just in. Rainer Knizia, Hall of Famer. All right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he, to me, is the epitome of just enough rules so that you don't have very much rules complexity, but always enough depth to get interesting. Pulls that off time and time again. I recently looked at his bio on BGG, and I want to say he has 600, 700, 800 published games to his credit. That's staggering. I mean, when you do it for a living, I get that, but that's a stupid big mm. number. Don't get me wrong. I mean, sometimes he he does, you know, five variations of the same game or whatnot, but, man, when he hits it, he hits it right, mm. right? I mean, he has countless. I, I would say at least half a dozen, if not a dozen, like, if not Hall of Fame, like, right up there. Yeah. Games. It's pretty impressive. All right, so I got two other games. Or, well, we got two each, uh, two of which you've never played. Yep. And uh, so I'll go and hit on those briefly. Hey, this just in, Ark Nova. Really enjoy that game. The Apparently from Civilizations, the new, the newish one, Civilizations, of having a tableau of, okay, you have like five cards out here. And they get stronger as they go higher in count. So a card in the one slot is has a power of one. Whereas if it were in the uh, five slot, it is at maximum power or value in that case. 
this game uses that mechanism there for building a zoo. And I think it's 90% great. I really do. I think it's really wonderful. I loved my play of the solo game. Thought it was fantastic. Hmm. And the multiplayer is fine. I think it it, it kind of suffers from, in a lot of ways, uh, what A Feast for Odin does, which is a lot of multiplayer solitaire in a deck that is way too big for hmm. the game. Because if you go for certain strategies... It's possible it's just impossible for those to be viable. Mm. So that said, Arc Nova really enjoyed it overall, I would say. Uh it had it's not without issue, but solo, I thought it was really great. I really enjoyed it. Uh really simple um like timer or AI to run in this, which is a hallmark of a really good solo, in my opinion. And the mm. way it works, it just worked really, really well. So Arc mm. Nova is still high on my list. Okay. And the only other one that I wanted to really mention, well, I guess two real quick. Masters of Venice, fiddly, ugly, still awesome. Love it. We played it last weekend. And we did a full review of that some number of years on the podcast as well. So, yeah, Masters of Venice, ugly as sin, but so good. And Praga Kaput Regni, I never played it multiplayer until a couple months ago. And I'd only played it solo. Really enjoyed it solo. Loved it. Multiplayer. We had such a good time. It's hmm. it's from the same designer as Shipyard. It's not as good as Shipyard, in my opinion, but still a really good game. And it's one of those positive reinforcement games that, okay, I didn't get to do what I wanted to do because you got in my way. Okay, I can do this other thing that, oh, that felt really good. I did really cool stuff, and it felt good, even if I right. didn't win. And there is absolutely a place in this hobby for those type of games to where just everything about the game is a positive reinforcement there are games like age of steam where that's not the mm. case uh but i have i am amazingly smitten with praga mm. kaput regni and i didn't think that i would have been um that's uh vladimir sushi Hmm. uh designer on that and i i yeah i love my plays of it i'm not going to go into big details it's it's been a big enough hit people know about it but yeah just really 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 enjoy prago and we need I'd to, like to try yeah. we we need to get you to play okay. it because i think that's a game that you would really enjoy okay So the last big two, uh, we'll start off. Imperial Steam. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not sure how much we want to talk about this because we actually are close to being able to do a full dive. Oh, we're, we're going to do a full dive, and it's a mixed bag for me, for sure. Yeah. But go ahead. We know, Yeah, we haven't played it at two. That's the only count I haven't tried it at. Um, it's 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 got a... Well, what's it got going for it? It's you've got a bit of root, not root building, root claiming. I'll, I'd make a distinction between because the, the the tracks are on the map set. You can't create your own track like you can in Age of Steam. You can claim tracks, so it's more like Power Grid in that sense. It's got a nice progression in the sense that you're starting at Vienna. Everybody's kind of aiming for Trieste, and you've got to get necessary stuff on the way. Um, it's got um, a a fair bit of contention in racing for spots. <laughs> um, the thing about the game that I think is really where it, you're either going to love it or you hate it is one of those games where you can figure out what you need to do next. 
The hard part is figuring out how on earth are you going to get the necessary resources to do the thing that you know you want to do next. And it can be, you can easily get yourself into a position where you are stuck. And you basically have to tread water for a round or two, watching everybody else make progress while you can barely just get that one bit of wood that you need in order to move a little bit further forward. And it can be pretty depressing if you get yourself in that hole. So, moral of the story, don't get yourself in that hole. But once you're in it, then you can get stuck. And right? it's very easy to get put in that hole because if you get to, if somebody else gets to a key spot before you, bump, your game's just gone down the toilet. Um, and that, you know, some people are not, are not going to like that because it can be really painful trying very hard to do something that seems kind of obvious, but you just can't get the stuff together to do it. I want to like the game more than I do. I think uh, for me, the production quality was great. The lineage of the game, it's same designer mm -hmm. as Lignum uh, and Alexander Weimer. And the game is good. Mm. But don't get me wrong, it's a solid game. But man, getting your when you get in that position, or if there is ever a, it is a game that accentuates AP. Mm. And it very much will, it uh, encourages, is that the right way to? Yeah, I think it is. It yeah, I think it encourages AP. And I think that's my biggest issue, both in myself as well as other players. It's one of those games that it you really, because you can calculate out or anticipate how things are going to go. And so you're looking a turn or two out and then, it's such a razor's edge in some mm. regards to where if you either misjudge or somebody completely zags when you thought they were going to zig, it can completely thwart. And that it doesn't to flies in the face of a Praga game mm -hmm. where that is a pure positive reinforcement game. This very much is not that. And you have to be prepared for that, but also just the fact that it encourages AP is just a tough pill to swallow for me. Yeah, it reminds me a fair bit of uh, the Voyages of Marco Polo, because also in that game, you're in a situation where you know what you want to do, and what you're trying to do is figure out, well, how can I assemble my next three or four moves in some way that I can, and you're spending a lot of time trying every possible combination of things that you could do, and every time you're coming up one camel short. And for some people, that kind of challenge is what they go for in a game. For others, they're going to struggle with it. And if you're not the person who struggles with it, you won't like Age of uh, Imperial Steam. And uh, oh, for me, I got to be in the right mindset, and I got to be in the right right mm. place to be able to play a game like that. And when I do, I enjoy it. If I don't, very much not. And also, okay, the, the, can, can we do away with two words uh, from board games? Imperial and Steam. <laughs> Imperial Struggle. <laughs> Imperial Steam. I, 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 I don't know anybody else that does this, but those two, like, I am I am so interchanging these. Yep. It, it's, oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, enough on that. So, But, yeah, it, we will definitely probably... Definitely, probably. That's that's really, really. Edward. I think that's a uh, probably. Think I can be pretty firmly confident that you're definitely probably. Uh, hear a full review of that in the coming months from uh, Martin and myself. Um, all right, so let's talk about a game that I didn't think there was a snowball's chance in hell would live up to the hype that 
it came with uh, from our local group, from uh, Shrey and Derek, and that is Carnegie. Carnegie. And, sorry, Carnegie. I, this is a hill I fought and died on and lost. Did y'all know Andrew Carnegie, that is not how you say his name. I was like, no, it's Car- like, no, it's, Car- it's Carnegie. Apparently, it's Scottish. And a re- he, like, it's, it's Carnegie. I did not know that. You, I corrected you, and I was wrong. I apologize. Well, I can't remember whether it's Carnegie or Carnegie, but I think it's Carnegie. But I know it's not Carnegie. Fact. Anyway, <laughs> for us Americans, Carnegie, a really good game. Surprisingly, uh, it's 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 a Euro's Euro. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 well, yes. I think that that's fair to say. Um, it's got a nice map that you're contesting over, which is and with some um, nice decisions about where do I go? Do I go rapidly to a spot? Am I going to get blocked? That kind of thing. Um, you've got some nice build up of your office department you have this kind of office block and you fill it with departments and each department gives you a bit more um, power in the game Um, one of the things I particularly like about it is that it uses a a mechanic that's not used very often which is a classic mechanism which is referred to as um, I've heard it was referred to as role selection which is if it's your turn you choose the action that everybody's going to do you do it first and then everyone else does it. it the game that, that's known for working with this, of course, is Puerto Rico. Um, and in Puerto Rico, as a, the person who chooses the action gets a bonus. Um, this isn't the case in, in Carnegie. You, you just get to do it first. Um, but it's a lovely mechanism because not ju- you're not necessarily thinking what action is going to be the best for me in my position. You're also looking at everybody else thinking, yeah, this may not be the best action for me, but it really sucks for everybody else. So I get a definite advantage by taking it now and getting a a, a jump on other people. It just flowed perfectly well. Like, I hear our friend Dan in my head. It's better than perfectly cromulent. It, It just worked really well. And it is a point salad in a lot of ways. But just being able to build up your tableau with your little departments there and just manipulate your board, it just, it felt good. It's not like a, you know, a, a pure, you know, positive reinforcement game. There is very much some of, oh, I took this, now you can't type thing as far as the uh, donation spots right. go and so on and so forth. But it has a lot just that works really well and it's very smooth it's very relatively mechanically simple and it's all bite-sized chunks and it just it's just smooth it's just all of the things that you're often going to want in a euro and it's just tied up in a really nice Mm. package that works really really well and the production is great which adds to it so it's funny Long time ago, when I was first starting in this hobby, I really didn't care about production quality, right? You know, you got your winsomes, you got, you know, stuff that is more devoid of art, and it's all uh, function over form. Fast forward to 2022, <laughs> and this just in, we can get both. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, Tool's artwork, obviously I am a huge fan of his. Not just because he's a friend, but he does amazing mm. art. I mean, he has the reputation that he does for a reason. D- just does a masterful job. 
of presenting the game in a really beautiful way. It has like a a tri-level player board, which is completely over the top and unnecessary, but it's really damn nice. So if you can have it, yay, it raises production costs. So there could be an argument of, does it need to do this? That type thing. But I will say this, when it's on the table and we're sitting around playing this game, man, it sure feels good. Mm. Every Everything about this game just works really, really well. It is, but I have to say for me, it, it again ended up in that fine category. It didn't sparkle. It felt a lot better than most of the other games of a similar class that have gone, gone through here, as we'll be ranting about soon. Um, and I think it held together better than those games, but it's still very point salady. There's still temple tracks, even though it does there's little slider things that pull out the side. There's still frigging temple tracks that give you little bonuses and victory points as you march up them. Um, it's still very point salady, but on the other hand, it hangs together better, I think, than a lot of the games that as said that I've come across recently. But I don't think it it was trying to be any more than it is. Right. Right? Yeah. That I think the game set out to be a Euro Zero. Yep. Check and check. Yes. It did that, and it did it very, very well. So if you're going to publish a game, or if a game's going to come out, in my opinion, it should follow one of two tenets. Bring something new to the table. This doesn't. Or re- do something, mm. put it together in a unique way, and make it really, really good. Do it. Do that well. And it did that really well. The downside on it? is the theme is completely extraneous to what it is. At no point do I... I don't know why Andrew Carnegie's name is on the box. No. It's got nothing to do with it. No. Just... What? So, if you care about theme, no. No. But presentation-wise, beautiful. Production-wise, beautiful. Gameplay, super smooth. And... Still had teeth, right? And so, yeah, I think it did what it set out to do, and it did it well, so mission accomplished. But, yes, it is a Euro's Euro. Yep. So that takes us through the list of games we wanted to go through. Yeah, pretty much. And then we were going to hit on a number of other things that are – I'm sure people are going to ask questions about, yeah, uh, or at least wonder and whatever. And start off with, uh, well, I guess uh, conventions. Um, we went to PAX East for a couple days, fully masked. You know, it required you know vaccination, which yes, that it should, uh, and required masks. So we went to it. It's local to us. That was good. Um, but what I realized, I don't really miss conventions. Um. I miss meeting folks. I miss our friends, like whether that's publishers, designers, mm. industry people that we haven't seen in years. Cause like I'm thinking specifically like at Essen or something like that. Right. And I miss wandering the halls, trying to find those obscure little hidden gems. I miss those three things. So I miss, mm. The heavy cardboard. I, I miss the herd. I miss 
interacting with y'all out there. That's number one. I miss our friends and, you know, interacting with them and seeing how their lives are doing and that. And I miss wandering the halls. Like I'm basically talking about Essen in this. Yeah. Well, I mean, last time you came back from Essen, you came back with Yin Yang, which was a, a lovely little discovery. There's Formosa Tea, another game that otherwise I wouldn't have run into. Right. So I, I, I miss being able to find these. Yeah. And that's just, it's just fun. Plus the behind the scenes day, like on Tuesday and Wednesday is awesome. I love it. I love it. I love it. So I miss Essen. I miss HeavyCon. Past that? Nope. Not mm. a single one do I. HeavyCon, if you would have. If you would have told me it would have been this long, I would have said, no way. We're all, you know, I, I'm, I'm currently reading uh, The Passage by Justin Cronin. Apparently, it's the end of the world. It's, it's, the, it's the vampire apocalypse out there. Um, but our goal is to be ready for 2023 for HeavyCon, right? So yay on that. But as a general rule, when we went to PAX East, I just found myself not really missing anything about conventions other than those things and how much do I miss them? I mean, yes. But past the those two conventions, I don't know how excited I am to go to anything else. Mm. And like you look at what Origins did. Oh, hey, we're requiring masks and vaccination. Yay. Oh, just kidding. No, we're not. Wait, what? Oh, yeah, yeah. now we are again. Really, like, come on, be responsible. Mm. Um, but for me, so is Essen happening this year? I don't know. Maybe we'll see. But yeah, I, I think I would like a very limited convention schedule going forward. Hmm. So yeah, so there's that. Um, all right. So uh, you you had a thing here, the the uh, high produced reprints. Yeah, it was a little theme that, I, that struck me because I was looking at what I've been doing Kickstarter-wise and, okay, I've got a couple of new games um, in the hopper. There's uh, Stationfall, there's uh, Hegemony, uh, or Hegemony, as they say over here, uh, and, of course, Madeira, <clears throat> which, you know, who knows if it's going to show or not. But the other thing has been older games that have been repackaged in much nicer pro production. So, for a start, Ra. One of my all-time favorite games, a magnificent piece of Knizia from classic Absolute um, gem. picture. Yes. You know, tool artwork. Yeah, you know, okay, here's my wallet. Take whatever you want. I mean, how can I resist? And it looks beautiful. Um, I can't wait to get my hands on that. I have a perfectly good copy of Ra. I actually quite like the much disliked um, version that I've got, which was the last one that got published. I think it's nice, but it can't compete to, you know, tool, right? So I'm really looking forward to having that. I'm curious to see how it ends up. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> um, and then the ultimate of good game and crummy um, qu uh, production quality finally gets a decent production quality game, which is Castles of Burgundy. Why isn't this one Eno tool? <laughs> yeah, well, yes, there is that point. <laughs> um, so there I'm, I'm actually a bit more unsure by the design all the rest of it it looked like a bit off the top it went heavy on miniatures you can get an all miniatures version where all the tiles become miniatures you draw the tile out the bag and then you look for the miniature to put I didn't get that version of it um, it seemed a bit crazy even just the miniatures just for the castle seemed a little bit kind of seriously well I guess it's only 10 bucks more and 
And, and we were told by this guy on the herd, we've, you know, it's always worth paying 10 bucks more for a few miniatures. So, you know, you might as well do that. And it will convince me of anything. Um, that's kind of an in-joke because he's notorious for not liking overproduced things. But I, I'm getting Castles of Burgundy because I really want a decent production quality version of this. I actually even went for the, um, not ceramic, but the... Um, Special material, not not the cardboard, the acrylic tiles, which perhaps is a little bit over the top, but this is a great game. And I think it would be nice to play it with nice components instead of those horribly flimsy thin pieces of cardboard. And you do get all of the um, the, the counties or the whatever they're called, duchies that you get to, to play on. So you get a good set of upgrades and everything. There's an expansion in there that nobody's ever played that. I'm, I'm very suspicious of because nobody's ever played it and I don't like expansions of, as that kind of expansion as a rule but hey, you know I can afford it I'm, and the, I'm glad to say that the, the original version is still available for people who don't want to pay an excessive amount of money for it It doesn't need it Hey, you do you Right, and by you I don't mean necessarily yep. Martin just hey, if, 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 if that's your thing go for it Um but honestly, you know what? In my opinion, Castles of Burgundy needed two things. Thicker cardboard and Eno Tools artwork. Sold. Done. Anything right. past that is yep, fair. overproduced. Yeah, it's overproduced, but it's overproduced, and I'm still going to go for it because... Then, then clearly it's not overproduced because yeah. it seems to have hit, found its market, right. I guess, right? Yep. And then and then there's, there's one that wounded me. That's Skyrise. <laughs> All right. Metropolis or Metropolis, in which Skyrise was built upon, is a great game. Legitimately great game. Ugliest sin. Oh, my God, that board, the artwork is just horrible. Just ugly. But the game itself, mechanically pretty simple, little bidding slash uh, auction game. Roxley came and turned it into Skyrise. So when I heard, so when I was approached for this, they said, hey, do you have any interest in checking out High Rise? It's a reimagining or built upon Metropolis. I was like, yeah, I'm in. Definitely. Absolutely. I love Metropolis. It has its pluses and minuses. I can say that. Overproduced is the, is the first thing that, come, that comes to mind. So first off, the board. The board is a score track around the outside and then a little place for the little special discs, which this is another thing that got added on to it. That's it. Built upon the board are now these five little three, well, for us, for the prototype, it was 3D printed, but I'm sure they'll be, you know, hard plastic, whatever it is. Glorify miniature. Islands that piece together and and will vary up how the different uh, where the basically allows you to customize the board. But why do they need to be giant pieces of plastic? And yeah. just it just hmm, that was a choice. Okay, the buildings the buildings I thought were we we didn't understand it at first when we got the prototype because in the original. They were just numbered, I want to call it like 1 to 14. 
for every player, and they're in three different sizes. They're still in three different sizes, and the 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 plastic, 3D printed, whatever you want, uh, resin, whatever those are, gorgeous. They are really, really nice. Those were really nice. So if there's one thing that, yes, overproduced, completely unnecessary, but that I fully support and think were great were those. Yeah. They were numbered with weird numbers all the way from like one up to 124 maybe. But then we realized that they're in buckets of tens and then every player, they're, they're basically tiebreakers. So if I have number one, number two, number three, number four, then somebody else uh, might have uh, number 11, then 12, 13, 14. So there's ones, twos, threes, and fours for the tiebreaker for that bucket. That right. was a really smart improvement. I thought yep. that was really, really well done. Yes. And then they added on more stuff. And it they made like some of the the hidden objective stuff for the different colors. It becomes really, really obvious what P and you're always going to get it felt completely extraneous in that regard. Then the special um uh I forget what they're called, but they're the, the like palace or monument or whatever. Mm -hmm. The rule breaker on that, that's fine. Those all, we only played it a couple of times, so I don't want to speak to balance in that regard. But they felt swingy in that yep. regard. There seemed to be a wide range. But I'm going to go ahead and give Roxley the benefit of doubt on that stuff. So that's that's fine. But then they added in the the uh, all the various different shits and the hidden shits, the A's, B's, C's, and D's that you look at. Oh, if you get an A, then you can look at what the A value is. And it just felt like one thing layered on top of another thing on top of another thing uh, that was unnecessary. And it just took what was a fundamentally mechanically simple game and just added too many layers to it that it lost a lot of its charm and just turned into an overproduced game that just lost its charm. Hmm. And that could be me being sentimental. And I know Shrey felt somewhat similar because both he and I had played and were big fans of the original artwork notwithstanding. And it just, there's a lot of good in Skyrise. And I think there's the ability to take some of those improvements and maybe not play with some of the stuff that's layered on top. You can go back to the original core idea that was Metropolis. But it just felt like a just too much was added in. And it, it just it it wasn't what I was hoping it would be, I guess, and turned into a bit of an overproduction step. Especially yeah. with the board, with the islands. Yeah, and I just felt it, it just went on too long. Um, there was just not enough interest in the game to last its distance. And so I wasn't... And I've never played Metropolis, so maybe I would have preferred it. It could well be that that style of game, it's, it's much more abstract, much more... I don't know. It did, it, I felt there was perhaps something fundamental in the game that just doesn't jive with me. Um, but I, but both times I was playing the last hour, I was kind of saying, please let this be over. And of course, when you've got a game that, that also tends to encourage a bit of AP, um, then you're really crying for mercy. And that's that's not to to bag on Skyrise here. 
It's just, and I think Shrey says it pretty well. There were there there's an option. There was an option to do to where it's just cardboard pieces mm. on the board. I think I would have preferred that instead of that huge plastic island thing. Um, and I think he summed it up really well here that the original is great, although maybe it could have used a little bit of development. This took it too far. And I think that sums it up really well as far as my feelings on that. And I realize that we're talking about this a fair bit, or at least I am, but I think, I think this falls in the category of you took a game that I really, really liked and then you went and did too much with it. And I'm, taking that personal i know it's not personal gavin i know that it's just it it just hit me a little bit because it's the opposite of carnegie for me Hmm. to where i came in like carnegie had been talked up by folks around us for like the better part of two two and a half years and i was like okay enough like it's not going to be oh wow this actually yeah that kind of lived up to what you said it would be this I had really high expectations of it because, oh, you're building upon a game I really like. And then I was like, oh, you did too much with it, I think. And damn it. But I think you can take some of those things off and not play with them if you're me and you wish to do so. So if so, then I guess win-win. thing uh that since it's it's been a minute since we've done the podcast we have a little award that we started up some number of go, uh, years ago called the golden elephant award that uh much due to the pandemic honestly uh went on hiatus for a couple of years and so the golden elephant award is going to be coming back uh it'll be in the fall uh, for 2020 and it will be around the new year for check that Yes, I got the years right. It'll be in the fall announced, the winner of 2020. Around the new year, the announcement for the winner for 2021. And then the provided things get back to normal, then it'll be uh, HeavyCon, which is Memorial Day weekend for 2022. Hmm. All right? So there's Ambitious. that. I like it, though. Yeah, but, well, it's the reason... I made these decisions on this because I actually went and I made a list of what games theoretically could be 2020 Golden Elephant Award finalists, even if not winners, right? And I don't know. I put like 30 games on the list here because it's not all up to Edward. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a group of us. And looking at this, First off, how the hell is Dune Imperium ranked that high? Come on, people. It's not that damn good a game. <laughs> I'll, I'll the, agree with that one. I, I did not. I was not a fan of Dune Imperium. Take the name off. Take the theme and the name off that, and that's just a game on a pile of it, it, <laughs> Come on, man. All right. <clears throat> Needed to yep. get that off my chest. Plus right. one on that one. <laughs> so, but like games that, look, they're probably not going to win. They might win, but like. Okay, I threw Dune Imperium on here, both to remind me for that little bit, but, you know, it's ranked high, but whatever. On Mars, Beyond the Sun, Imperial Struggle, Praga is on here. I threw Anno 1800, and other people can come up with their own, you know, like, suggestions from within our group or anybody out there listening. Feel free to shoot out suggestions on games that you think could be 
can't be reprints, can't be expansions, and it has to have been published in 2020, right? But you look at this, like maybe the cost or Tokyo Tsugi uh, Market, this war without an enemy, but there, uh, 18 Chesapeake, but there are still a number of these games that we haven't played. Versailles 1919, I, Cosmic Frog. Uh, I put Cloudage on here or Merv. Um, but yeah, but then when I'm making this list, and I do this every time I do this, you brought up something before we started recording. You looking at the go go ahead, tell folks. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I will say I when I think of the golden elephant, I think of its recent award winners. I think of Pax Premier Second Edition, I think of Brass Birmingham, I think of Lisboa. Wonderful games. I have not played a heavy game in the last that's been out in the last couple of years that I feel is worthy to sit on a shelf next to those three. And, and maybe that there are games that I haven't played that could sit. I haven't played Praga. I would love to play the cost because I'm fascinated by its theme and the way it tackled its theme. Um, so I'm sure there are there could well be games that go on there. I just haven't played them. And I, we have played a reasonable amount of games, but when I, the interesting thing is I compare it to 2019, and I think of 2019, we had, I mean, Pax Premier Second Edition was the winner, but also on the list was City of the Big Shoulders, Pipeline, and Barrage, all of which are better than any game I've played that's come out since of a kind of weight. So Martin asked me, do we have to give out an award for that? And I was like, stop with that. But no, I, I think it's actually a, a valid question, and this has been posed in the past, are there years that we just don't give out an award because there isn't something worthy? A, I don't think that much of myself or of our award that we can deem that. Like, that is a level of elitist, and I am not prepared to go to no. The answer is a hard no. We will not be skipping a year because of that. Um, but, yeah, and, and there are others, right? There's dual gauge. There's the vote. There's... Rolling Stock Stars, although is that a reprint? And we have to discuss that, whatever. Uh, this War Without an Enemy, whatever. Verdun 1916. Um, so there's a number of games we just haven't played yet. But yeah, that's the interesting thing, is everybody that's going to be on this panel this year, and by this year, it's basically for three awards, so <laughs> congrats. Um, it's going to be hard. But like, okay, and I'm going to highlight one just as an example here uh anno 1800 that was a perfectly fine game i enjoyed my plays of it is it those games that you just mentioned it's interesting because when i was making that comment i was thinking i've played some nice what i'll call more medium weight games that i could imagine getting at some point anno 1800 beyond the sun fiam i really but i don't sure that they're weighty enough to make it onto that shelf, they don't. To me, there's now, a degree now, of weight that feels like there's a bit more there that is that the packs and Lisboa and Brass have. Okay, so by weight, you don't mean the game's weight. You mean the the substance of the game. I think question mark. I, like, I think I mean I think I've mean the weight. Oh, really? Like you you think they're too light of games? Like to yeah, I mean I, it's well, medium I mean, and heavy. Okay, yeah, no, fair. That's fair. I mean, I, I just think again, I, I'm kind of thinking of that. If that's my standard that I'm setting up, then to me that implies a kind of weight level that is greater. And then again, if you think of the, the, the contenders in 2019 that didn't make it, City of the Big Shoulders, Barrage, 
Um, Some year. Uh, yeah. I mean, let's face it. It, I th- it was just interesting. I thought that there was that distinction, which is not a bad thing. I mean, I really enjoyed NO 1800 um, Beyond the Sun and Fire. I could definitely play those more often. I could see uh, they're on my possible buy list. Um, but they are, it is interesting that they are not quite of the um, weight of the those three that I mentioned early on. Some years are better than others. I mean, I, I think. I mean, obviously, it's subjective. Obviously, all not only oh was twenty twenty a good year or a down year, if you will. That's going to be subjective. There's no definable thing like the the mm. no one person is gospel on that. And all of these awards are subjective. And I'm not going to dictate anybody's own way of choosing how to rate these games in that regard it's kind of like if you're a baseball fan like how the hall of fame sets it it sends out all the ballots some people take it to a to different degrees of where they put emphasis and that's kind of like how we're doing it here but looking at this 2020 i think is going to be a really hard year to try and figure out 2020 I listed a lot of those games, and yeah, we'll see. 2021, okay, in no particular order, right? You have Dominant Species Marine, definitely not a sequel or an expansion mm-hmm. or whatever, right? It, it's its own animal. You have Bitoku, you have Boon Lake, you have Ark Nova, you have Oath, you have Coffee Traders, you have Imperial Steam, and others, but those are all names that people are going to recognize as, oh, I could at least see that in the discussions somewhere in there, right? I feel like finding, I think 2020 is going to be a harder struggle than, there, there, have, been, there have been certain years where it's been pretty obvious, and there have been other years that have been far harder. And I think 2020 is going to be a harder year uh, to figure that out. But I'm excited for the... Uh, the challenge of this. And I'm also glad that it's not just like one or two people anymore. <laughs> I think that helps and that helps get it a little bit more well-rounded. So I'm looking forward to a playing more of these games, but also being able to talk about them here on the podcast, but, and, mm. and also uh, getting caught up on that stuff, right. And recovering from the pandemic as best we can. I think also part of my sourness on this is running into games like, I mean, I, I, I've, I've commented a few times around here that my dislike of the way we have these, I refer to them as the tea games because it's that style of Takanu. Um, Stop picking on board, di- board and dice. And, and you know, it really came home to me playing Nightmare Cathedral, right? It was, again, the kind of, there was sort of one really nifty mechanism in the game that was, ooh, you could do something with this. And then a whole load of stuff thrown onto it. Here's a bunch of temple tracks and a bunch of this and a bunch of that and a whole bunch of things thrown in. And, oh, yeah, there was probably you probably could do something with interesting with this theme because the artwork's beautiful, but we're going to completely ignore it. I have no idea what I'm playing, what I'm trying to achieve or why. And you're just going to go, ugh. And I've had that reaction to so many games of that where the weight I feel is up there with that shelf, but the qualification, no way. Yep, that, that's that's how I felt. 
There we are. He's only one voice. Exactly. Of this. <laughs> clearly, clearly uh, not influenced by yours truly. Uh, no, and I, I appreciate, and I think that kind of gets back to why I missed the podcast, is this gives me a little bit more, gives us a little bit more, I don't want to say freedom. It's my damn show. If I want to do stuff on YouTube, I can do stuff on YouTube. However, I think it takes a little bit, uh, allows a little bit more breadth and a little bit more wiggle room for discussing these things as opposed to during a live stream, sponsored or unsponsored. I mean, obviously sponsored, we try and keep some of the opinions uh, out of it, uh, outside of what we're playing when we're doing that. But even unsponsored, we're focused on playing the game, right? Presenting mm -hmm. the game and playing the game. And it's a little bit more structured, maybe not rigid, but structured. Whereas the podcast, we can be a little bit more free to, yeah. to kind of go in different directions like this and be a little bit more. I don't, I mean, we, we tell the truth on the YouTube channel as well, but I feel like this gives us, I, there, there's a, there's a word that I'm not able to come up with. It just gives us a little bit more freedom to go and to, to delve into, I think mm. is, is what I'm trying to say and really get to things that I, that you really feel strongly one way or the other, or hits or misses in that regards. And even though we do that in the round table discussions on the YouTube channel, I just, I, I missed it here yeah. with the podcast. So, but yeah. So there you go. That's uh, that's pretty much all we got, I think, for this week. Yep, yep. That's all. Uh, all I came with. All right. So thanks to everybody that watched live, but also to everybody uh, listening out there. Hopefully, you enjoyed it, and uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. And, and, we'll leave it and at that. do everybody out there listening, please encourage Edward in every possible way you can think of to do more podcasts because I want to listen to them. So. Feedback. And here's the thing. Like, I'm not, look, your your podcast sucks. I don't like that you talk about this or the way you present. Like, give me feedback one way or the other. I would like to hear it. It doesn't all have to be, I don't want sick offense. I want, I want honest feedback, but I want feedback because if there's feedback, I'm more encouraged to continue doing this. And I want to do this, but it helps keep the motivation going. Because if you're just throwing it out in the ether, you don't really know who's hearing it. At least with the YouTube channel, we get that feedback, both in the comments as well as the live viewers and the whole nine yards and the interaction on Twitter. I don't hear about the podcast, and that really makes it really hard to keep that momentum going because it's got it. the passion comes from y'all. It helps feed that passion that I have for this. So make it a two-way street, I guess is mm. what I'm saying. Yes, please. We want to hear. All right. Uh, how do I want feedback? Any what carrier pigeon. I don't care. Uh, Slack, email, um, Twitter, any of that. Knock yourself out. I don't care where it is. Just make sure or or or. Less less so in the guild, because honestly, the, the guild on BGG became a very hostile, ugly place. So less so there. But email, Slack, if you're a patron, 
um, uh, Twitter, any kind of social media. Hit us up. I would love to hear it. So, yep. That's it. We'll see you all in a couple weeks. I'm Edward. I'm Martin. Thanks, y'all.